talk to you or not. They're just like being them. How many of you guys know that how unique that is to have in a church? It really is a unique thing about our church, how we are a very inclusive, uh, very accepting, very community-driven church. And, and people come up and talk to you and introduce you themselves. And, 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 if, and if you're new to the church and you're like, man, I really like it here, I, we need your help to keep that because we don't, we don't want to lose that. But it's such a unique thing that we have that we have this culture of community inside of our church. We have a culture of community inside of our church. You know, that didn't happen overnight. That isn't like I can preach a sermon on let's create a culture of community. And then the next week, everybody's instantly like, we're all friends. It just kind of slowly happens over time with a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. And our church has had this for quite some time. And, and so our church has this amazing thing. But, you know, it didn't happen overnight. And maybe you know this, but the great things in life typically don't happen overnight. Typically, the good things in life take some time and some effort to develop. That, you know, to have a great marriage, it takes some effort to develop it. To have a, some a great kids, it takes long-term, sustained effort to be able to help develop great kids and a great home life. To have a great church, it takes long, sustained effort on every one of our parts to be able to have this fantastic church that we, that we all have. You know, and, and living in community doesn't happen by accident. It takes intentionality to live this way. You know, there's benefits to living in community. There's things that can happen face-to-face that can't happen in rows. So on Sunday morning, we get all excited. We come to church. Maybe you don't get excited. I get excited. I get here early. I'm pumped. Like, I'm excited to worship God with y'all. And, and you guys come in, and, and you sit down in rows, and there's something that happens here where, where there's one person talking and a bunch of people listening, and it's a bit of a monologue that, that ends up happening here on Sunday mornings. You file in, and you sit on rows, and you sit shoulder to shoulder with people next to each other. For the, the 10, 15 minutes as you talk to people before church starts, you got the church face on. You're like, oh, the Lord is good. You got to put the ah at the end if you're like old school Pentecostal. You know, you got the, I grew up that way. So, so you go, oh, the Lord is good. You got some brothers and sisters. You got to put that in there too. Oh, brother, it's good to see you this morning, sister. And, and you, you know, you put the church face on. You get the church smile going. And, and oh, I'm so blessed to be in the house of the Lord. And, and you, you know, you're meeting everybody. And you got the church face on. And everything's good. And the music starts. And you're like, ah. Okay, 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 we got this, we got this. And, and now we cut out the, um, the, uh, the shake your hand to the neighbor's section, you know, so we gave you a break, right? So then at the end, you know, it's, uh, right now you can sit in rows and you can stare without smiling. We, I mean, you guys, I prefer you to give me a little feedback when I'm preaching, but because but, uh, it's, it's a little less boring for me. But you guys can sit, no, no feedback, you can just sit there and stare if you want to. You can give me the, you know, the, the blank stare resting face. But then as soon as church is over, what happens? Oh, that was a good sermon, Pastor. Yeah, and, and yeah, that was a good word. Yeah, and, and brother, you're so, yes, uh, the church. Uh, and so we get our church face on, we smile, and God is so good, and oh, it's so great. And 15 minutes out the door, we climb in, we shut the door, and we can resume the conversation that we had on the way to church. If you ever act like that again, I'm going to punish you so hard, your friends are going to feel it, you know. And, and so you start the, 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 you know, the, the conversation that you had on the way to church, and you put the church face on for like 45 minutes at the most. If you're lucky, you can time it right. Maybe do like an, like an, like an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and 30, no, not, not an hour and 45, right? So you can, you can put the church face on and, and be able to get through church, and, and you can sit in rows and shoulder to shoulder. But I'm telling you, something happens when you're in community and you have a face-to-face relationship with somebody, not a shoulder-to-shoulder relationship with somebody. 
Listen, I'm telling you, things that happen different in rows and in circles. On Sundays, in rows, you hear a monologue of somebody like me with a microphone talking. In rows, you can walk out of here and be inspired to do something different. You might be inspired to walk in your faith with the Lord. You might be, my hope is that you would be inspired to say, yeah, I've got kind of a re-energized thing. Like, I'm now motivated, inspired to be able to follow Jesus at a new level. You know, in rows, you might hear a sermon and think, I need to set that goal in my life. Or or maybe I I need, I got this great information. I had no idea that Jewish people did that when Jesus was blah, 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 blah. You know, and what happens is this, is then in a circle, is a different dynamic. See, in in, in a row, it's a monologue, but in a circle, it's a dialogue. There's a two-way conversation that happens there. If you walked into a small group, we're launching small groups this week, but if you walked into a small group, and, and, and you put on your church face for the entire hour-long small group in someone's house, they would all think you were weird. They'd just be you, right? That, but the real, like, raw, authentic you, it becomes a dialogue. Now, it takes a while to build some trust. I get it. It takes a little bit of time sometimes to kind of build that rapport with someone. But you get some dialogue. You know, the greatest moments in my life The biggest changes that happened in my life didn't happen in rows being inspired to do it. It happened sitting around a kitchen table in somebody's home. I don't know why it's always the kitchen. You guys feel me? Is it the kitchen in your house too? The kitchen's it. I don't get it, but it's the kitchen. The kitchen where I sat and had a dialogue with a conversation with maybe one, two, three, four people, a small group, some some small love, small group right there. That was the biggest transformational moments in my life happened in that setting. Listen, you can get information, but you can't get transformation in, in, in the row setting. Now, now, don't get me wrong. God can work miracles in your life, and maybe a moment that happens in your life, but consistently over time, as you grow deeper and deeper in the Lord, as you grow deeper and deeper in your walk with faith, you become more transformed through deeper community than you do sitting in a row. Now, I love the row. The rows are awesome, aren't they? Man, this band was incredible. We're all singing praise and worship to Jesus. And, and it's great to celebrate together in a common place. But there's a deeper level, you know. There's just a deeper level. And so we get the monologue versus a dialogue. We have the inspira- inspiration versus transformation. We can set some goals here, but, but in the groups, we end up pursuing goals together. And here in rows, we get information, but in circles, there's some accountability. When you set a goal in a group and then you meet back with them again, they say, hey, how's it going? You were here. you grown. That's incredible. Sometimes when we're by ourselves and in our own heads and in our own spaces, it's hard to see the growth and the change that happens in our life. It really is. To be able to do it together in a group allows us to be able to see the growth as it happens as we go forward in life. But you see, here's the thing that, that, that I love about, about this whole concept is this, is that I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I drift. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I start to just slide off of topic just a little bit. I start to slide in my faith. I start to slide in what I'm doing. And I, I know what you're saying. Okay, great. That's, that's, how does this relate to families? Get this, right? This happens in our families at home just as much as this happens in our church family here. We get into routines, and, and we let the priorities slip a little bit. You know what I mean. 
We get into a routine of, oh, I'm, gonna get, I'm up in the morning and I'm reading the Word and I'm getting into my quiet time personally, but then one day you sleep in a little bit and so it's no big deal, so you miss a day, whatever, you know. Jesus died on the cross for that sin too, you know. And so we're, we're good, right? But then, then all of a sudden you're missing two days a week and then three days. And then eventually it's like, all right, I'm not even spending any time with God anymore. And, and, and I can feel myself start to drift and start to slip and start to fade. It happens at home too. I, my kids are little, so, so I don't know how far this, this is going to go but, because they're, I'm, they're, I'm in process, right? But, but and my kids now, they come home from school, and it's like, well, we got to get some homework done. We get all the patterns and our routines going. If I'm not careful, I can lose and let my relationship drift with my kids because I'm just going through the motions of the standard routine of getting through life. And it can look and feel like, well, we're, we ate dinner together. But am I having the real conversations? And am I having a real dialogue? When I was a kid growing up, I, I knew that um, I got in trouble occasionally. And every once in a while, I was a preacher's kid, you know. So, and I lived up to the stereotypes of preacher's kids. Whichever one you have, I probably did it. So um, I was a preacher's kid. And, and so I found myself in monologue situations on a regular basis in my home where my, my, my parents were issuing monologues to me. And I was like, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm grounded. Okay, I get it, you know. Hey, but listen, I want to tell you that, that you can start dialogue now that will help them grow, your kids grow. You can start dialogue now that will help your marriage grow. If you wait until it gets too bad to this, this, this drifted place too far away, then all of a sudden it turns into a lot of hurt feelings. It turns into a bit of a monologue. We can drift. We can drift away from the good and the wholesome. Left to our natural ways and our natural tendencies, we don't drift in places that are great, do we? I don't think I drifted anywhere that was outstanding by accident. I've literally never drifted to an amazing place. Every time that I start to drift, it generally goes in a direction that I really, at the end of the day, don't want to go. Listen, to, to go into the places where you know you need to go, you have to be intentional about where you're going. You see, if, if it's good for us, <laughs> we tend to drift from it. You don't accidentally drift into a healthy relationship. My wife and I don't have an amazing relationship because we accidentally got there. If we don't wake up one morning and be like, wow, this is incredible. How did we get here? This is amazing. Typically, when we drift in my marriage, when, when we start to have relational drift, what happens is, hey, we haven't had a date night in a while. Oh, man, we're drifting. You know, like, hey, we better get it on the calendar, get a babysitter. We're going on a date night. We're going to do something to reconnect, right? So we have to be intentional about it. We don't naturally drift to amazing places. Our relationship with our wife, our husband, our relationship with our kids, our relationship in our families is the same way, and the relationship with God is the same way. You don't accidentally drift into an amazing relationship with anyone. You've got to be intentional about heading that direction. It takes time and it takes intentionality. The gravitational pull of life is in the wrong direction. The current of life rarely takes us in the right direction. So every area of life that is important... We are swimming upstream. Think about it. Do you want to get a 
college degree, you don't just casually drift into being a PhD. You don't casually drift into a master's degree. Everybody with a master's degree is like, amen, amen, brother. That was some work. You know, you've got to, like, put intentionality into it. You're like, there's days I'm, qu- I'm quitting, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm tired of swimming upstream. Listen, in education, you've got to be intentional about trying to get to that great place. In your marriage, you've got to be intentional about trying to get to that place. Your relationship with kids, your, your relationships at work with even that difficult boss that, that some of you guys have, maybe you are that difficult boss. I'll leave that alone. Uh, but we know that it's worth it when we go and we work upstream. When we get to the place where we know we're working to get to, it's always worth it. Nobody worked through their Ph.D. and started working in their field and said, man, I regret getting that. I mean, every once in a while. But most of the time, they are glad that they worked and got the degree. They're glad that they worked and had the great marriage. They're glad that they worked and had the great relationship with the kids. We know that it's worth it. So, are we even going to get to the Bible today? Like, let's, let's get there. How about that? Hebrews chapter 3. You guys get turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. You see, in the first century, when the, when the church began, they actually addressed this issue. They actually addressed this issue. So in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. In verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters. That is not church-faced, brothers and sisters. (laughs) See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you is a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. Who would choose to turn away from God? What kind of morons is he talking to, right? Who would choose that? I think there's a drift that's happening in their church. I I know that nobody here drifts like this, but, but there's some drift happening in the New Testament church. Who would choose to turn from God? Who would know what the right thing is to do and willingly go and do the wrong thing? I mean, oh, I can't believe that somebody might do that. Who in the right mind would say no to God, right? You know, Paul makes this statement where he says, listen, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. Hey, I can, oh, that'll preach. I can relate to that one. And then he says, I try so hard to not do the wrong thing, and I end up finding myself doing it anyway. Listen, this is a battle that we face. There's a drift that happens. We know what the right thing is to do. We know what God's commanding us to do. Nobody has to stand up here and tell you that sin is wrong. Nobody has to tell you that what you're doing to somebody else is is wrong. You intrinsically know deep down that what you're doing is wrong. We may justify it from time to time, but but we tend to drift into this pattern of, of going into the wrong direction. And right here in Hebrews, it says, Hey, guys, see to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. So the solution is plural. Hey, brothers and sisters. You see, the solution is not look in the mirror and figure this out. Make sure you hide what you're doing. Don't let anybody else know. Cover it up. Bury it. Walk to church in your church face. 
God bless you, brother and sister. And that is not what it says. It says brothers and sisters. There has got to be a level of relationship inside of the church to where we are able to know each other well enough to know when someone is drifting. There has got to be a level of relationship inside of our families at home that we know each other well enough to know when we're drifting. Brothers and sisters, this isn't an individual command. It is a group command. You need to check up on each other. You see, the turn away from God begins in the heart. And when we begin to turn from God, the drift doesn't begin on the outside. The drift begins within. The drifting from God begins within. The drifting from your spouse begins within. The drifting in your relationship with your kids begins within. The drifting in your life and where you head, it doesn't begin on the outside where everybody can see it. It begins on the inside and only you know that it's starting to happen. And what we do with that drift that's within matters. What we do with that matters. Nobody knows you're being tempted to do that thing. Nobody knows. You know. It begins within. In James chapter 1, verse 14, it outlines this pattern that happens oh so frequently in our life. But each person, James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, temptation gives birth to desire. First, you're tempted by it. That 65-inch TV is kind of tempting. If you guys have been around a while, you know I have this temptation to go buy a new TV. I've been looking at the 65-inch high-definition 15K ultra whatever. I don't know. But, you know, I look at the TV. I'm like, oh, the temptation is there. I want to go. I want to go do it. Well, then it turns into a desire, right? So the temptation turns into the desire. And so I start wanting this thing. And the TV is fun to joke about. But the real temptations and the real desires that we all struggle with are a little more dangerous than just buying a TV. But, but so the temptation turns into a desire. The desire turns into sin. Because my desire left unchecked, I'm going to walk into Best Buy. I'm going to pull out my credit card, spend money I don't have, and put it onto the credit card. And I'm going to show up with a TV at my house. And so the temptation turns to the desire. The desire turns to sin. And then the sin of me bringing the TV home is going to turn to death. Wait, someone's going to die because of a TV? I am. I'm going to die because I brought home a TV. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> That's right. You know what's going to die is my budget. You know what's going to die is my grocery budget. You know what's going to die is my relationship with my wife is going to bring a little bit of death into it because she trusted me not to go out and blow grocery money on a TV. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to bring death into my relationship. I'm going to bring death into my finances. I'm going to bring death into my family. I'm going to bring death into my relationships. Listen, sin brings death and death and career and, and, and death and, and opportunities and, and death and, and eternity. And there's actually death in life where you can sin hard enough and actually physically die. Sometimes we treat our pet sins like like little baby pet sins because we think, well, it's not actually killing someone. It is, just slowly. It is, it's just slowly. So I want to challenge you to start the dialogue at the temptation phase. And I know what you're saying. What do you mean the temptation phase? 
Listen, I'm tempted to buy that TV. There's no lie about that. I'm not making that up. I want this TV. I have a temptation to go buy a TV. And, and my wife and I actually talked about it ahead of time. And, and I say, oh, that TV would be nice, right? Listen, you've got to have access. Allow somebody to have access into your life where you can have an honest discussion about your temptation. Young person, you're here this morning. I'm telling you. If you're in middle school and high school, if you're a young adult, I'm telling you, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, okay? There's some here, there's some over here and over here. Listen, start the dialogue with your parents at the temptation stage. When you tell your parents, hey, you know what? I'm tempted to go hang out with my friends over here. I really like them. I, I know that they drink too much or, or they, they maybe are doing the wrong things, and I know that they're going to lead me in a direction I don't want to go, but I'm tempted to go hang out with them. Hey, if you start that dialogue then, they're not mad at you. They're proud of you. They're like, okay. We can have a conversation. But if you let that temptation, you stuff it down. I'm tempted to, to sneak out in the middle of the night. You know, I, I, I'm tempted to go do these things. I'm telling you, as a, as a young person today, if you start the dialogue at a temptation stage with your parents, then they're going to say, well, let's talk through this. And as parents, we've got to be in a position where we open the door to have honest conversations where we don't yell at them when they're dealing with the temptation. We've got to create an atmosphere and an environment inside of our homes that we can have honest conversations about temptations, a safe place for them to talk about the temptation that they may be going through. Because if you create a culture where temptation can't even be talked about in your home, this is what's going to happen is they're going to be tempted and they're going to stuff it because they say, oh, if the temptation comes out of my mouth, then I'm going to be maybe grounded or punished or they're going to yell at me and scold me and I'm not going to have a dialogue. I'm going to get a monologue back on me. And, and I mean, it's just not even worth it. Oh, I can't even ever. Ugh. And so they, they have this, the, the temptation starts to stuff. Well, the temptation becomes a breeding ground for desire and the desire becomes a breeding ground for sin. And typically, what happens in this pattern is we don't see it until the death stage as parents. And now it turns into monologue. Young people, listen to me. Parents, listen to me. In your marriages, in your families, in your kids, in your work, everywhere that you go, you need to create a situation. You need to have friends in your life and people in your life that face-to-face, you can have an honest discussion about the temptations that you face. You don't have to tell everybody. Right? You don't have to tell everybody. But you've got to have some people. You've got to have your people. You've got to have your people. By the time the death comes around, it's too late, isn't it? Now, kids, you're grounded, right? iPads, smartphones, they're gone. I'm grounded for life. I'm ruined. Yes, I will never see outside the four walls of my room. They're going to slide food under the door. And then the homework goes under the door. I've got to do it and slide it back out. It's like a prison cell for eternity. Listen, I'm I'm telling you, start the conversation at temptation. Start the conversation at temptation. So there you are. The drift begins within. The drift begins within, and you start to slide and slide and slide. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. When the drift is starting within, nobody knows. Nobody knows. You can be and put the face on. You can give the cookie-cutter answer to your parents. You can give the cookie-cutter answer to your wife. You can, you can give the, the answer that you know they want to hear, and nobody knows the drift that's happening within. People, church, we have got to get to a place where we can be honest with somebody about the temptations that are going on inside of our life. Here's the thing. When I say, babe, I want a new TV, and she's like, 
Um, our stove is on the fritz. Like, like, it doesn't even work sometimes, you know? Like, you turn it on, and then all of a sudden, it's like 100,000 degrees, you know? And I'm like, I want a TV. And she's like, you're not buying a TV before you buy the stove. You know what I'm saying? And so we've got this thing. It's, it's like all of a sudden, when I get the temptation out of my mouth, and I share it with somebody, here's what happens. They go, uh, you're kind of crazy. You know that, right? Let me repeat back to you what you just said. I'm telling you, that breaks so much of the power when you have somebody you can talk to. When you say, hey, I, I'm being tempted with this. Talk to your spouse and say, I'm tempted to quit my job. She's like, oh, really? Are you tempted to not pay the bills either? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm, tempted to, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go punch my, the, punch my boss in the mouth. You're tempted to have an assault and battery charge, you know. And all of a sudden, you start talking through it, right? And, and, and it's funny to joke about, but, but you start talking about the temptations with your spouse. You start talking about the temptations with your kids, kids with your parents. And, and you have honest dialogue about these things. All of a sudden, the temptation gets cut stopped. It gets cut short in its tracks. Unless somebody's checking in on you, nobody knows. Somebody must have access to you, and only you can give this access. This access doesn't happen here in rows in a Sunday service. If you stood up right, right now and shared your hardest temptation you're facing, it would be awkward for everyone. <laughs> for everyone. For you and for the people hearing it, they're like, I don't know what to do with this. What, what was that guy's name again? I'm not even sure, you know, but now I know this thing about him, and I, I can't even compartmentalize, and babe, it's time to find a new church, you know? And, and so it's, yeah, <laughs> it's awkward for everyone. Yeah, listen, I'm not, I'm not professing that we should be sharing our deepest temptations and struggles because we all have them to be sharing them in a platform like this. I'm saying find your group. Find your circle. Find your place. See, the rows don't know. Your drifting heart doesn't show in a row. We're good at walking in here and looking good, but nobody knows in the rows. The only way someone knows about your drifting heart is if you're in a circle. If you're in a circle. See, circles, at the end of the day, are more important than rows. Rows are important, but circles are even more important important than Rose. If the band would come up, we're going to wrap up. As we pick up in Hebrews chapter 3 again, that was verse 1, uh, verse 13. So reverse, that was verse 12. Verse 13 says, it says this, but encourage one another. But encourage one another, it says. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, encourage is, is, is a word that, that means to appeal to, to exhort, to, to strongly urge, to, to beg, to implore. Beg one another, implore one another, strongly encourage one another daily. Don't let people struggle alone. Being in someone's life in a way that they don't struggle alone. You see, when the drift begins within, someone has access. Somebody has to be able to say something. Imagine if your childhood family secret had been able to have a circle to talk about. The baggage that 
many of us carry growing up. What if there was a circle of honesty that we could have actually talked about it rather than having to carry that thing in secret and in private for as long as we did? I'm telling you, circles can be transformational. So, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, the sin inside of us deceives us. Sin is like an active, living thing that, that can get inside of us. See, sin isn't necessarily the action we do, but it's the disease that lives inside of us. Just like you can have a runny nose and itchy eyes and a sore throat and a fever, and you say, oh, they got a flu. Listen, the, the, the disease of sin that that's, like, wants to grow inside of each and every one manifests in different ways. That's why I always find it ridiculous when, when, when one Christian points at somebody else's sin and says, like, that's worse than my sin. Like, their itchy throat is worse than my runny nose. It's the same disease. It's just, it manifests a little bit differently. And we're not called to judge. We, we, we know that. We're called to love. But here's where it gets dangerous. So if you're experiencing this right now, this is where it's dangerous. This is the danger zone. This is it. This is, this is where you should have some red flags going up this morning and saying, I need to address this issue right now. It's the self-talk. You know, when you look at the situation, deep down in your heart, you know, you know, this isn't, I'm flirting with something here that maybe I shouldn't be flirting with. And if, you, if you're telling yourself something like, well, well I deserve it. I, I deserve this. I deserve the TV. <laughs> Football season's here. I work hard. I deserve the TV, right? But, but you know, like, really, if you're saying, like, I deserve it, you might be dealing with something that's starting to get a hold on you. The drift may be drifting to a point where you're going to have a hard time pulling back. Maybe turning into a sin or, or a death. I deserve it. She's practically forced me to do this. He's practically forced me to do this. You might be in a marriage where you're talking to yourself about the spouse saying, but they practically forced me to do it. A young person, my parents, they're, they're not the dumbest people on earth, just for the record, but oh, they're so dumb. They're practically forcing me to do this. If everybody else knew, they wouldn't blame it. They wouldn't blame me. If everybody else knew the details, they wouldn't blame me for doing this. They wouldn't blame us for doing this. You know, I, I think I'd be happier if... See, the, the best defense against the drift is the we. Not I. Not you. It's a we. That's the best defense against the drift. The circle is your best defense. Not the row. So what are you telling yourself these days? The self-talk inside? She's always... I'm, I'm just tired of this. I can't... I'm just tired of it. God, why do we have to even do this? See... you were to tell somebody else that you trusted in your circle the thoughts that are in your head and the justification for it and the temptation that you're struggling with in the we context you tell them they're going to say I think you've lost your mind let me repeat back to you what you just said to me hold on a minute 
Have you considered this? Have you considered that? You're focusing on the 5% of the negative, but, but bro, your family's like 95% positive. And let me help you change your perspective here. Listen, God is good. Look how much he's blessed your, your business. Look how much he's blessed your family. Look how much he's, you need someone in your life to speak life into your situation, to be able to help you get unstuck, get, get away from the drift and, and the drag and the, and, and the going into the, to the wrong direction. You need somebody who can speak that to you. And when you get the self-destructive thoughts out of you, you're going to see it differently too. You're going to see it differently too. Your circle might keep you from doing something crazy. What if somebody had been there the last time you thought about doing something crazy and you actually did it? What if somebody had been there to say, because we all have regrets where we did something dumb, we did something crazy, and we internalized it and made the steps and we drifted and we did it. What if somebody had been there? 20 years ago when that thing happened, what what if somebody had been there? Where would your life have been? Wouldn't, Wouldn't it have saved you so much pain and heartache? I'm telling you the circles have the power. If you were to tell someone else, they would think you've lost your mind. See, the drift begins within you. Let someone in while the crazy's still in. Because once the crazy gets out and you actually do what you're thinking about doing, it's a whole lot harder. So verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Hang on to that original decision to follow Christ. You had that original decision, right? That original conviction to follow Christ. You had that original conviction to stay married to your spouse. And you drifted. It's not too late. You can drift back. You can get back. Your kids, your relationship with your kids has has drifted. It's not too late. You can get back. I don't care if they're 7, 17, 27, or 47. You can still get back. It can still happen got to hold on to that original conviction. You didn't marry this person thinking it would end that way. You you didn't have your kids thinking that you'd be estranged for them or have a difficult relationship. You, You had dreams, didn't you? And the drift happened. God's plan is it's not for us to drift. So checking up on people takes a risk. Checking up on people requires you to ask some tough questions. So church, are we able to do that? Can we get ourselves into a circle in our family to where we have a safe place to talk about the temptations? Can we get ourselves into a circle church inside of our church where we have a safe place to talk about our temptations? Men's groups that can get together and talk about the temptation of lust that is all around every single man. Every man deals with it. There's times where it's a stronger temptation and less. Wouldn't it be great if you're able to say during a stronger temptation season and have another brother stand with you and go, bro, did you just hear what you said? Yeah, I'm I'm an idiot. Yep, yeah. And then the next time you see him, like, hey, how's it going? Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you to start battling that. Let me stand with you in prayer in this thing. How great would it be when, as, as a mom's club, to get together and say, I'm ready to choke my kids. I had three. I'm gonna have one because two of them are driving me nuts. And the moms would be like, you know what? Let me pray with you. Your kids are great. Let me pray with you. Let me follow up with you. Let me, let me stay with you. How great would it be if we were able to do that, right? Listen, that's the way the church was designed in the beginning. That's the way the church is. That's what we do here is we help each other chase the relationship with God 
no judgment. We talk about temptations, and we be able to follow Christ in a new and strong and more passionate way. Church, that's, that's what we do as a church. We point others to Christ, and we point each other to Christ. We're all growing in this together. Whether you're far from God or close to God, we're in this together. There is someone who can see what you can't. They will see something to help you avoid the drift, to help you avoid a bad decision. Listen, the family value is this. Create that space and talk about the temptations before it becomes into death. Let's sing one last song. But before we do, you guys stand with me. As we sing this last song, we have prayer teams that that are here that want to pray with you for anything whatsoever. Maybe you've been drifting on something and you say, I just need someone to stand with me in prayer. Maybe you've been tempted with somebody and you say, I just need someone to pray with me today over this temptation. There are prayer teams that are going to be on either side of the stage. They will pray with you for anything. Maybe you need someone to stand with you in prayer for another situation. Maybe you need someone to stand with you in prayer over over a situation that that you just don't know how it's going to turn out. They're there. They want to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you hear me talking about God and a relationship with God and maybe you've never been in a relationship with God. There's two people I want to talk to right now. And the first one is this, is the person who says, I have never been in a relationship with God, but I know that I need to be in relationship with him today. That's the first person. The second person I'm talking to right now is this, is you were in relationship with God and you walked away and you've turned your back on him. You drifted and drifted and drifted. And you say, today's the day I need to get back out of that drift. I've been away from God for so long. I don't even know where to find him right now. I'm so lost. If you're in either one of those camps, today is the day where you can make a decision. That you can say, today is the day I choose to follow Jesus. Either for the first time or for a, a reuniting time. To get back off the drift that you've been going for so far. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't want to make a spectacle of you. I want to give you a resource and I want to pray with you. If that's where you're at today, will you just look up at me and put your hand in the air because I want to pray with you. Do I see any, anybody today? You want to make that decision. Jesus is calling and saying, I need, I need you. I want you. You haven't drifted too far. Today's the day. Today's the day that you can make that decision. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I just thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. Heavenly Father, as we, as we wrap up our church service this morning, God, I pray that, pray that you'd be with every one of us, that you'd be with this church. God, help us to grow in circles. Help us to find that circle. Let us be intentional. We can't drift there, God. Help us to be intentional with finding that, that circle and that group. Help us to make our families those circle places where we can have honest conversations and grow together as a family, both at home and in a church body family. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna sing one last song before we leave this morning.
Spirit to know. 
Thank you all for coming. Have a wonderful week.